everybody help me say thank you to our worship team and our prayer team. So thankful for them. Please, please, please. I, uh, I'm amused uh, at, uh, at the cafe. It amuses me on, these, on any given weekend, but on Fellowship's weekend, uh, I, I, I think this room has plenty of people in it. And then I go out there and I just am so delighted at what, that the, how, how holy it is in there. And I don't mean, I'm not, I'm sorry. I don't mean donut holes. I mean, <laughs> I mean the holiness of just people fellowshipping over food and being together. And I just give God, I just give thanks to God that we do that. Yes. I, and I, I was telling Jean, I said, man, growing up, we didn't get a break. You, know, you go to church, even if you have to go to the bathroom, forget about it. You can stay in there, you know? And, uh, but boy, just to take a break and just do what is holy together in fellowship and enjoy uh, a cup of coffee and some breaking, literally breaking bread, even if it's just super sweet bread. Isn't it wonderful? We're going to, well, we won't ever stop, just in case you want to know. In fact, have I told you this? I got to stop telling you things. Um, <laughs> that our, our, our legacy plan, that means after we pay everything off and we, and we, are, and we are able to leverage ourselves to where we want to build on a larger piece of property, our legacy plan is to develop a, a, a situation to where we, get, we can gather for worship and then as often as we feel like we, we want to, whether it's monthly or more often, we actually just have probably mostly prepared for people, but we're able to have a food, fellowship, lunch together after, after services, especially for folks that maybe have driven or whatever else, but we just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a part of that Nehemiah, we gather together, we hear the word, we lift our voice in worship, we respond in prayer, we, we hear God's word, we, we, we respond in consecration, and then the challenge is go now and share food with each other, especially have enough for those that don't have enough, and enjoy that. There's something so holy about that. You can say amen as you are turning to the book of Philippians. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, now I love you, and I, I'm not trying to be an overly aggressive uh, encourager, but some, please say Bible good. Bible good. All right, say it again. Bible good. All right, so now open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. There it is. This is the message that we're trying to affirm to ourselves and everyone else. I want everybody who comes here to go, wow, this church really likes the Bible. And I want everybody who comes here to think, I really like the Bible, but speaking of yourself. So in, in, the, in Philippians, so far in chapter one, and we haven't left chapter one yet, isn't that fun? So far in Philippians, Paul has written to his audience, his, his original audience, and we, his audience, have been, have been uh, fortunate enough to participate. He has written to his audience, affirming to them what the grace of God has been accomplishing in their lives, has praying for them, believing for them. He's been talking to them about the grace of God toward them. Now he's going to shift gears and he's going to testify about the grace of God at work in his own life. But the good news is we, the readers, get to eat from both plates. We get to benefit from hearing how the grace of God is at work in our life and how it's at work in Paul's. Here's Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that's the word Adelphi, so that's brothers and sisters, siblings. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known 
throughout the whole Praetorian Guard or the, the governor's palace and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to stress in my imprisonment. What then? Love that. You want to say that out loud? What then? Like, what's my, what am I, what's what, not like, so what, but what the, what, what shall we do? How do we respond to that? Oh, only in every way, whether, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. What then? In this I will rejoice. And then he says it most triumphantly. Yes, and I will rejoice. I'm not going to promise that we might not camp on that 18B for a whole weekend. Yes. I will rejoice. You want to say it with me? Yes, I will rejoice. What's going on here in this passage? Paul is actually in a bad spot. But genuinely insists on seeing it in the best light. Paul is so confident that the grace of God is at work. And he's so grateful for what that grace is doing that he rejoices and that he insists on rejoicing. This is what the grace of God does in our lives. Grace enters into the whole of our lives. Even the dark parts, even the broken parts, we might say, especially the dark and the broken spots. And the grace of God enters those places with us and brings the goodness of God to bear upon them. Even before the circumstances change. Now, in this passage, Paul hasn't said anything yet about a change in his circumstance. He is rejoicing right in the middle of it. Not because he's glad to be in prison. Woohoo! Not that he loves the feel of chains. He's rejoicing that in, even in this, the grace of God is greater. Grace is a bright light in a bad spot. Here's what Paul saw, and here's what he says, a bright light in a bad spot. Verse 12 says, now he's talking to his audience and he wants them to know. This is, this is a, a, a pastoral feel from Paul. Now I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the good, the good of the gospel. This is the governing sentence. I want you to know that all of that's happening is turning out for good. God is good. His grace is at work. And in this, I rejoice. Why would he say that? He, why does he want his audience to know this? I, Paul is aware that his audience is aware of his circumstances. And that he's probably aware that they could potentially be discouraged or afraid or otherwise negatively affected. 
we need to be honest enough to think Paul is in chains under arrest in Rome. Now I know in hindsight, most of us who have even, well, even if this is your first time in church ever, someone's probably heard of St. Paul. And there's not a lot of people that are like, I can't stand that guy. We don't even really know him, but what we, we assume he's a pretty good guy. And his friends loved him, right? Would have, and there was, it's, it, was being, it would be normal for us to, in hindsight, assume, well, everybody loved Paul, except for just the bad guys, right? But how many of you know that accusation carries with it an immediate penalty? It's that way today, isn't it? The, the moment someone is accused of something, there is a cloud over them irrespective of their fault, irrespective of their fault. I, don't, I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I think it's safe enough. I, I look around and I think of people whose lives depend on their integrity. And here's my friend Corey here, whose life depends on his integrity. So he, has, and he does everything he can to, to, to live by a standard of integrity. And how hurtful it would be for there to be some accusation, and not just a private one, but one that got him in prison, How tempting would it be for those who even knew him to go, mm, mm, mm. I mean, he is in prison. He is in, he's in chains. There's a cloud there. There's a discouraging factor there. There's a concern there. And Paul wants to speak comfort to his audience and say, hey, I know what this looks like and what this feels like for you, but I want you to know grace is greater. Grace is greater. And you might say, that's easy for Paul. It's easy for Paul to have a good attitude. I mean, he's Paul. Is it? I think that Paul would have had plenty of reason to have a bad attitude. Uh, probably more than most of us in the room. Why? Because this all started with a false accusation. A false accusation. He brought Gentiles into the holy place. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was trying to pay a vow. He was trying to do what's right, and he got accused of doing something wrong. It's a false accusation. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but boy, oh boy, does it hurt. You think, well, it shouldn't hurt if he did, did nothing wrong. No, that's why it often hurts so bad. It hurts so bad when you have guarded and maintained your integrity and there's the sense of, of, of bitter betrayal and accusation that comes out of nowhere and it just feels so gross. And, and then the enemy comes along and says, yeah, it's probably right, you probably are that way. And golly, it's hard. And then the false accusation was aggravated by a plot to kill him. Now, so far that hasn't happened to me. There's a plot afoot to kill you, Dav. Great. And then... That was polluted by corrupt leaders who kept him in prison, hoping to get a bribe. Not with justice, not to mete out justice, but for, to serve the interests of their own corruption, to keep him in prison to serve the interests of their own corruption. Until Paul finally makes an appeal to Rome. 
And this man who has lived a stellar life, who as a Jewish citizen, as a, as a model citizen, a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a man of excellent righteous conduct, and concurrently a Roman citizen in good standing. He has lived his life freely, openly, confidently, and for the last few years, he has lived them in chains, in prison. Years of his life forfeit. Horrible threats to his life, risks to it, shipwrecked, lost at sea, and bitten by a snake. Paul could have had all kinds of church hurt trauma to write about. But instead of blaming God and being mad at people, he believed that God is a redeemer. He believed that grace is greater. He believed his circumstances only had as much influence over his attitude as he allowed. And where others might have seen dark prospects, Paul saw a bright light. Here's what he saw. He tells us what he sees. Verse 13, paraphrastically, he says, my imprisonment has led, to the, cause of, led the cause of Christ to become well-known through the Praetorian Guard, through the entire governor's palace and everyone else. In other words, his prison had become a platform. Paul being in prison and the reason for it, his claims about Christ had become known. Can you, you got to kind of look at what's happening there. Paul is in, 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 in prison. He's under house arrest and people know about it. And, you know, some folks, you know, they're, they're have you ever, do you know that people talk? I don't know if you... People talk, and so people are talking. Well, this guy, this person over here, they're in prison. No, nothing against you, brother. But, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, for treason or for theft or for theft or for, uh, or uh, I, every time you point at someone and you get nervous, but, you know, uh, you know, or, 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 or for, you know, you know, whatever, uh, murder even, whatever. All, all these people are in prison and they've made an appeal. They're, they've, they, they, they're accused under, as a Roman citizen, they've made their appeal and it's, it's very serious. All these people, but this guy over here, why is he there? Well, you wouldn't believe it. This guy is in prison. Get this, because he believes that there is one God and that that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. that the son of God's name is Jesus of Nazareth and he died on a cross for our sin and God raised him from the dead. And this guy believes that. He, he you don't say. Yeah, he believes it. Well, what's in it for him? I mean, it's gotta be worth something for him to be in prison and chains. What's the upside? What's the catch? What is so good about this gospel? And then one by, one by one, they find out. And one by one, the cause of Christ begins to spread through holy gossip, through the halls of the most powerful people in the land. And Paul smiles. Satan tried to silence him by putting him in prison, but God made his prison a public address system for the cause of Christ. 
And there's more. Verse 14 says that Paul implies that a great deal of brothers and sisters in Christ are aware of his chains and rather than being discouraged or frightened by them, have become emboldened to speak up. His example is inspiring others. Paul wasn't martyred, but his chains, him being chained up, fired up others. How Paul, I pray we hear this with our heart, how Paul endured his circumstances gave others confidence and courage. This is the plate we must eat from today. This happens, right? We see or we hear about someone who is mistreated or oppressed for what they believe, and it causes us to ask, well, what do I believe in? How much do I believe it? And then often inspires us to stand up and to speak up for ourselves. Friends, your courage under fire, your perseverance under pressure will inspire others. The way that you, your attitude in the midst of it will inspire and strengthen so many other people. Paul knew that. And we want to hear Paul's not being fatalistic here. He is not saying, oh, God made this happen to me so that others will see it and have courage. He's saying God is a redeemer. And in the middle of my circumstances, I will respond with confidence and God will redeem even these chains to inspire and encourage other people. And I want to tell you that God will use your attitude as you walk through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your attitude, your perseverance, your strength, your example will nourish and inspire and strengthen far more people than you probably will ever know. Paul saw this happening and he rejoiced. Even if some of the voices weren't that friendly. He tells us this in verses 15 through 17. He basically lays it out there that people are, because of my situation, people are inspired to preach the gospel. And he says, some, some are doing it from envy and strife and selfish ambition. That almost doesn't make sense. Why would that be happening? Well, we have to probably try to lean into the dynamic here that Paul is saying. Paul is saying that there were some who, knowing that Paul was imprisoned, they jumped on the opportunity to preach the gospel because Paul could not. Perhaps they saw an uh, an opportunity to upstage him, to displace him, to replace him. And perhaps them knowing Paul's deep singular passion to preach and that he couldn't preach, maybe they wanted to just stick it to him, kind of rub it in. I'm doing it. Others, of course, preach with goodwill, with pure motives and love for God and love for Paul and love for people. But Paul's response is this, regardless Christ is being preached, so I'll rejoice. His response is this, the cause of Christ is winning no matter who is running. Paul's joy was in the number of hands that were raised to Christ, not the number of hands that were applauding him. He rejoiced over the end result. He kept his eyes on the grace of God and what it was doing. This is what matters. Even if silly people have wrong motives, they were furthering the cause of Christ. And for this, Paul rejoiced. So much for us to benefit from in these reflections. So let's just take a minute. What are the implications here for us as as we leave today? 
Paul, number one, as normal, Paul's attitude should inform our own. Don't make me say it 14 times for you to agree with me. Paul's attitude should inform our own. We can be optimistic and hopeful even in negative or the most negative circumstances because we can know that grace is greater. And our attitude in tough times can ignite courage and confidence in other people. And we can't miss this. The cause of Christ has to be our main priority, our main concern. Now that doesn't mean that any, this does not mean that this, this passage should not, use, should not be used as a proof text to say that the ends justify the means. This passage should not be a proof text to say that we are those who might say, well, who cares how or who cares why as long as the end is good? No, we do care how and we do care why. We want the, the ends to be the, to, for, for his glory and we want the way that it's done to be praiseworthy. We don't condone bad motives. The meaning of this text is this, that keeping the cause of Christ as our concern means that we don't allow our popularity or our preferences or our concern for how it should be done or who our concern for who gets credit to get in the way of advancing the cause of Christ. We have to be those who do not have the attitude that people can do no good unless they do it our way. Our passion, our joy is that Christ is exalted, proclaimed, and that his cause is, is advancing. The grace of God can do incredible things through people whose main concern is the cause of Christ. So here's our two-sentence takeaway attitude adjustment today. You ready? And no matter the circumstances, the grace of God is greater. And his grace is a bright light in a bad spot. And for this, we rejoice. We rejoice. Let me pray with you as we close today. If you'd like to stand as we close, that might give you a good hope that we are in back closing. I'd like to pray for God's grace to be supplied to your life today, particularly for those who in one way or another, and I, I can see you're here in this room, so you, none of you physically are in prison or chained. But any number of us on that spectrum might feel like you're in a bad spot. Either it, whether, whether it's in your relationships or your finances or just decisions that are in front of you or just the weight of today. I want to tell you that no matter the spot, grace is brighter, stronger, and more than enough. And that before, before we even talk about a change in your circumstance, and we will, Paul's going to tell us he believes his circumstances will change. But before we even talk about the change in the circumstance, we need to have confidence that grace is going to be with us in them. So if you'd like to just open your hands like this, let me just pray with you. Father in heaven, I give you thanks. I give you praise for your marvelous grace. That it is more than enough.
your loving kindness, your goodness, your power, your protection, your providence, your provision is more than enough. We thank you for healing virtue, for the comfort of your spirit, for wisdom. We thank you for that your grace brings everything. It is more than sufficient. And I pray that your grace burns brightly this morning into every spot your people are in. This I pray. We pray the same for those who are watching us live, those who might join us later. Right now, the Lord sees you and he has grace for you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 If you'd like prayer, we'll hang back and pray with you and pray for you. Uh, But otherwise, there's still food in the cafe and friends to enjoy. God bless you.